0: Welcome to the GateWorld
1: Podcast.
0: This is episode number 76 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Usually this week it's open line night and we've got an extra nerd joining us. Uh, We'll talk about Stargate. We'll talk about all sorts of things going on in the sci-fi world It's open line night on the GateWorld podcast And joining us this week is a very special guest He's coming on in just a minute, Michael Hinman from airlockalpha.com But first, David, how's your week been?
1: Hello, sir, my week has been pretty dang good I've been watching Glee and V
0: Nice There's not much V out there. There's only four episodes.
1: No, I'm watching. I'm in the middle of the fourth episode right now. And I've got to say, it's really good. Um, So hopefully we'll have a chance to get to that with Michael.
0: And lots of other things going on in the sci-fi world. But let's bring him on. So joining us today is Michael Hinman from airlockalpha.com. He's the site owner and site coordinator. And he also is the host of Alpha Waves Radio which occasionally features our own David Reed. Thanks for joining us on this side,
1: Michael. I know. Yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: We had you on once before. I think it was our 50th big celebration, and we're now halfway to 100 from there. But... (laughs) um, you know, we, we wanted least... to have you on the show for, for uh, quite a while because you are sort of, in my mind at least, you are kingpin on the internet of uh, all things sci-fi, whereas we just stay over here in the corner and talk about Stargate all the time.
1: But a lot of sci-fi news has been going on. What do you want? You guys want to talk about first?
0: There's huge sci-fi stuff. There's, there's film. There's television. We've got a little bit of Stargate. We've got some listener mail. Um, Michael, I guess, is the special guest, gets first pick.
2: The biggest thing that's exciting me... Um... I, and I don't know if exciting is the best thing or the worst thing on this case, but um, you know we all talk about television, we all talk about movies, but the thing that everybody that I know has been focused on is Star Trek Online. <laughs> so leave it to me to be a gamer. Uh, but it's just, and the reason why I bring it up, I'm not even a person that covers games really, but um, so many of our readers, and I'm sure you guys have heard this too with some of the gaming that uh, Stargate's been working on, but we have so many people that are involved in this that that, that want to play this, who've never played games before, and um, it's just been like what everybody's been talking about.
1: Star Trek Online has been one that I've been following since pretty much the very beginning at, at Stargate Worlds. You know, we were in development of Stargate Worlds, and Star Trek Online came out, and we were always talking, you know, the, the Star Trek uh, franchise is so vast and it's uh and its fans equally so that it will be very very difficult to create a game that will make all of them happy if not if not utterly impossible it's it's not possible to please all star trek fans i mean you know you, you can't necessarily give them all a ship to to command you know so it's it's an, it's going to be an interesting one to watch develop
2: yeah i've been involved with the head start um uh, you know just everybody if you pre order you can kind of jump in and and play before the launch but i have to tell you i was just actually talking about this on my site um <laughs> i've been a part of a lot of launches for games and i've never seen one so fraught with problems as this one. Oh, um, really you know, <laughs> yeah and i'm a little bit worried because i don't think there's been a game this high profile in a long time um you know it, with terms of mmos maybe world of warcraft lord but of the rings was I, a
1: pretty high profile one and it's been very successful
2: Yeah, it just but you didn't get like the whole cross the board stuff that you're getting with Star Trek Online, and at least with Lord of the Rings when that came out, my only issue with that in the beginning is that the gameplay was kind of boring. But they fixed that since then. I've been playing it ever since. But um, Star Trek Online has a great. I love the ships. The ship battling system because you can have your own starship and. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a lot of fun and, and the space battles are amazing but I have to tell you the servers in the first weekend have been down far more than they've been up and you know, know. That's, that might be typical some people might think that's yeah, typical that's of not an yeah that's not entirely MMO, surprising but it's not that I, in, in games that I've been a part of these types of server issues just I have not seen them like this before and I'm just worried that they might not be set up for it when you get hit with the traffic that you're hit with it can really be a,
1: a curse you know, your popularity can kill you. You as as all of us know, with with working on websites, you know the more you get hit, the more you have to pay, in various ways. And you know, there Star Trek Online is going to take their licks, and uh, hopefully they'll pull through.
2: I hope so too. I, I really like the game. I I hate to go online and and rip into the the, the technical aspects of it, but at the same time, I, I'm just afraid that if they don't get some of these fixed. People, I mean, I'm impatient to begin with, but there are people far less patient than I am. And and many of us, especially in Head Start, we already play other games, and we've taken a break to play this one. And and like I've seen with past MMOs that have had very, um, very slow starts, very rocky starts, people give up really quick and move back to their other games.
1: I'm just really scared that STO is going to take away from Stargate Resistance's Thunder. I really fear that it's going to hurt it. We haven't gotten Stargate Worlds. You know, that was promised a while ago, and now Stargate Resistance is finally coming out. All my friends have developed it. I've been rooting for this thing. I've been wanting it to succeed, and (laughs) here comes Stargate Resistance right alongside Star Trek Online. Not the same thing, but you know what? There's only so much gaming bandwidth, and it's going to come down to which one do you want to spend time on first.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that as much as they had the need to rush Stargate Resistance to the market, I think to to sort of get some cash flow for the company, it's they they did it within a week of Star Trek Online, which is uh, I, I hope that Resistance does really well um, and is is a big success. I mean, this weekend they had their own sort of little, little uh, quiet testing, uh, which I didn't get a chance to play. But, uh, you know, that thing's coming out on February 10th, so hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, there's enough market between between Stargate and Star Trek. Uh, the two franchises have not necessarily competed this head-to-head before, but in the video game world, they certainly are. Star Trek Online, I'm uh, uh, self-described as a really casual gamer. So uh, this is the sort of game I've actually been watching Star Trek Online casually for a couple years. And this is the sort of thing that could get me into MMOs. I've mm-hmm. never played an MMO in my life, never played an online game in my life. Uh, not, a, not a serious PC online game, anyway. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to in seeing it, how well Star Trek Online can grab the casual gamer who is also a, a serious hardcore Star Trek fan like me.
2: Well, you know, and that's the problem, though, that that's the issue that I have with with what's going on right now is that you are seeing that I think one of my writers, Terry Lynn Scholl, who writes a Star Trek column for us, she yeah. had, I, she hasn't played anything since Mario Kart. I mean, that's about all she's ever <laughs> played. And has never been an MMO player. Well, I've played MMOs for years and years. I mean, I'm casual, too. I don't go into a die hard, but I mean, I, I'm pretty serious about the games that I play. And. Um, she, you know, she's going. This I know a lot of people who have never tackled MMOs before, and the one thing that they do is that they push lifetime memberships, they push year memberships, and and things like that, which we know as MMO players don't jump into that until you're sure wow. in the game It's a good How game. How much does oh, a lifetime
0: membership set you back? It's, um, uh... I think.
2: A-
1: was it three or four hundred i was gonna say about three hundred dollars you know but i i just don't do it because i don't spend nearly that much time on a game i mean world of warcraft is the biggest mmo that i've played and i've probably logged 10 days on it total no whereas i know people who have spent years playing this game i kid thee not and you know, the, for that, for that, you know, that lifetime membership works, or the year-long membership works. So, but the nice well, thing yeah. I will say about Stargate Resistance is compared to Star Trek Online that I was wanting to say a minute ago is that Star Trek Online is going to be a monthly membership, and Stargate Resistance, you pay twenty bucks and that's it. If yeah, I'm I mean, understanding that right. So yeah. You just get. To, yeah, that's to to a nice thing you
2: have the non-MMOS, but. I, but the thing is, is that but but when you're roping in some of these casual, these very casual players, even more casual than you, Darren, when when you rope them in and and you're and you're convincing them like, oh, I better buy this lifetime membership or oh, I better buy this one year membership, and then they play for a little while, and and if if Cryptic can't fix these server issues, which is the biggest issue right now, and I don't know how much of it is load or how much of it is just you know things screwing up. Programming wise, but if you can't fix this, these people are going to quickly sign off. It's almost like people who buy these two year gym memberships, you know, with mm-hmm. this idea that we're going to keep going to the gym every other day and, and you, you mostly know, and waste weeks, it. Yeah. <laughs> you end yeah. up spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars on nothing.
1: Yeah. That's always a risk. So definitely decide whether or not the game is worth your cup of tea because, you know, if it's not, a f- if it's not financially viable, they, uh, they will discontinue it you know if if the server if the server load and the and the cost does not match up you know look at what was the game that oh Tabula Rasa i mean yeah. that that's gone it's gone
2: it's very rare that you see a game go away but it, but you're right it's not impossible though i mean the thing i'd be worried about the most is that that they just move on to other games where they don't really you know they might work on new content because that's what really fuels mmos long term is creating new content and um, a lot of times, I mean, like for instance, EverQuest One, you can still play it, even though there's a NeverQuest Two out there, which is far yes. more advanced. Yet they still create up, they still create new content for EverQuest One, and and that's the thing. But what happens though is that some of these other games that really don't generate a lot of the people that they were hoping for, they're not generating a lot of money. You know, the, you might still want to play, you might be one of the few that are playing it, but there's not going to be a lot of new content to keep you going. Or well, you just might not like it. <laughs> I mean, you know, why spend all that money on a membership and you might not like the game?
1: And the other big thing that I uh, was wanting to talk with Michael about was Avatar. You know, I didn't know that Avatar had topped Titanic in terms of the highest grossing film of all time. I think that's. Is that adjusted, adjusted for inflation too, Mike? No, no. Ah, <laughs> Titanic, so it's not
2: yet. Titanic's not even number one adjusted for inflation. So. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm excited that Avatar. Has, is number one in overall uh, ticket revenue, and, and and to be honest, you can't really you can't really trust those adjusted for inflation ones because Gone with the Wind is number one, yet that had several re-releases, yeah. and whenever they take the total dollars, they take it back into the nineteen thirty dollars, and I just don't think that that's actually fair if you release it in nineteen seventy. Um, yeah. You know, and you made money off of that. But yeah, the, the, I like that there's so many people that are interested in Avatar and that people are saying, oh, you know, look at how popular it is compared to Titanic. Uh, but the the thing is, is that um, this is gross ticket revenue. People are paying an average of like 13 or 14 dollars a ticket. Uh, because of the 3D aspect and the fact that tickets cost more money than they did 13 years ago. And Titanic ticket sales were like, I think the average was $7 a ticket. So um, to me, it almost would have to do double for it to kind of, to really reach that. I mean, the thing is, it's making a lot of money and and you you have to go by that. But in terms of popularity, I loved Avatar. I've seen it a few times and I think it's a great movie. But, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes we might hype the top movies a little too mm. much.
1: Well, I mean, it's Dances with Wolves and Pocahontas just retold again.
0: One of the Stargate writers wrote Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this yeah. is true! This is true! Carl <laughs> Binder did write Pocahontas, the Disney version.
2: Yeah, we, we've seen the whole Indian, you know, push the Indians off of the land story many times before. Uh, what I think is great about, about Avatar is the fact that the aliens... The, the Na'vi are a very I mean they explored the depth of these characters just so detailed and, and and they were fascinating everything about them everything about Pandora even the uh, floating mountains which I still don't know how that scientifically makes sense but <laughs> uh, you know but even but even those things it's just that you're, it's just all engrossing and I think what really helped Avatar which helped it for me I think was the 3D aspect I am not a 3D watcher it hurts my eyes I can't. Sit there for a long period of time for like more than mm-hmm. half an hour without my eyes being sore, but whatever this new technology is it 's absolutely amazing. I can sit there and watch the whole movie and want everything else to be just like that
1: and you know I was talking that 's interesting because I was talking with Kevin call and he said that he went and saw the uh, the not the the regular version after he saw the 3 d version and enjoyed it oh, yeah? so much more because the the detail like of the faces and everything like that was allowed to come out. Um, whereas in the 3D version, it was just obscured. So that's interesting.
0: Hmm. One of the things that I I liked so much about it when I saw the 3D version was not just 3D. I mean, I think the last 3D movie that I saw was when you went to the grocery store and got the red blue lens glasses so that you could come <laughs> home and watch Creature from the Black Lagoon on TV. And this mm-hmm. was this was the early 80s. But uh, boy, it's the technology has come a little way since then, hasn't it? But no, it's the, the fact that CG with this movie has gotten to the point where I can look at a, at a fully realized CG character with, you know, facial musculature and all that and, and believe that it's, it's not a CG character. I mean, this, these guys are so far ahead of Jar Jar Binks and, and even Gollum, who was incredibly impressive a few years ago. But, I mean, it's the first time I looked at a CG humanoid character and it didn't bother me. It didn't throw me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean?
1: And, in those wide shots where you see Pandora fully realized, you can 't tell that it 's generated by computer. You think th- as far as I was concerned, I thought that what I was seeing was a real environment it 's just scary st- it 's scary yeah.
0: and you know James Cameron has been talking for years planning planning avatar and and I was sort of cynical because he 's saying, you know this technology is going to change the way that movies are made and and movies theaters around the world are are putting in this projector technology basically for avatar getting ready because it's going to be the next huge billion dollar movie. And it's, it's going to be Titanic and it happened. It all happened. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, it's going in the record books, whether you want to uh, adjust it for inflation or not, it's certainly making money. But um, the, the thing that I I liked so much about the avatar 3d experience was that I'll say this, it, it brought spectacle back to the cinema uh with with hd stuff and and surround sound home theater systems and everything that we've come to enjoy uh and the the way that television is done uh, you know the advancements in cg on television in the last 15 years cinema has been struggling and and avatar is like a huge step forward in my book for going out to the movie theater being a huge spectacle again
2: well, that is until all these TVs are talking about now that will in, incorporate that 3D technology come out. Oh, and, yeah. They're going to do and, that. And then, I mean, it is kind By of Christmas sad. Time. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. But And I do like the fact that a lot of these projectors are switching over to digital and giving us a much crisper picture because it, it's kind of rough when I'm going to the theaters. Like, well, the only benefit I'm getting is that I have to sit in a room filled with a bunch of other people who are checking their cell phones and – Talking and crinkling paper, and and the resolution, you know, this the quality of the, the the picture isn't all that strong. When I can go home and watch it on my LCD and and get this crisp, clear thing, and wait for the Blu-ray. But you're right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, avatars one of those movies. I, I I'm glad I didn't wait for that to come out. I'm sure it'll look great on the TV, but I think it's absolutely amazing yeah. on the screen.
0: Yeah, the world of Pandora is is completely immersive in that in that experience in that scope with a, a screen that large in a darkened theater. I just don't think you can match it. I mean, guys like us are saying, boy, I, I really wish that my kids could have the opportunity to see Star Wars in the movie theater the way that it was meant to be done. And we got to see it in the mid-90s when it was re-released. And it'll be back. You. you and it'll be back, I'm surely. sure, as, as long as George Lucas lives and breathes and probably many decades thereafter.
2: And maybe in 3D, though. This is
0: one of those. Yeah, Yeah, that would be interesting.
2: (laughs) The nice thing about the the 3D technology that James Cameron did is that they can go back to pre-existing films and use this 3D technology on them. They're already doing it for Titanic. And, um, and it takes, like for Titanic, it'll take a year and a half to do it, so it's, it's a very time-consuming process, but there was a very good chance that if George Lucas wanted to, he could go back and apply this technology and, and do a 3D version of Star Wars. How is that possible with, with something that was taken live action? I mean, I can, understand, I can understand the digital
1: elements, but how can you do that to live action if a second camera wasn't there to film it? I don't know. That's a
2: really good question. But that's but what they're going, they're going to, to do? About yeah, they're, wow. they're saying that they have this ability to do it. I don't even understand this technology all the way through, Wow. but apparently they can do this.
0: It's incredible to me that none of us are ever going to own the definitive edition of Star Wars. What about Conan
1: the Barbarian, Jason Momoa? Who saw that one coming?
0: When I saw the casting uh, rumor, it was down to Jason and two other apparently TV actors. It seemed to me like it was a done deal because Jason was the only guy on that list that screamed Conan the Barbarian to me. A couple of young white kids can't grow a beard. I I don't see it.
2: I don't know. I mean I usually yell at people for judging films before they're even written and made. Um, but <laughs> I'm not I have to tell you, even with Jason Momoa in this and, and I would love to see him in this well, I think you're right, I think he's perfect for it. Um unless they give us some real amazing Ridley Scott style story I don't even know if I'll check it out at all. Well,
1: mm-hmm. Jason is in this and it's had enough of a high profile at this point. I have I don't have I don't even know who Conan the Barbarian is. All I know is I mean, he looks like a he looks like a Neanderthal. But He's uh, the host
2: of tonight's show. That's who he was.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> jeez. <laughs> oh, but you know, if Jason is casting this, and if it looks half interesting, I'll go watch it
0: to see him in it. Wait, I thought that's what this was. I thought Jason was the new host of the Tonight Show.
1: Oh come on! Is that not right? There are very few movies now that I'll that I will go to the movie theater to to spend my dollar on, especially when I can have the presentation in my home. You know, because you know you don't go to the arcade anymore. You know, the 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 Xboxes and the Nintendo 64s that are out, the Nintendo 64s, the Nintendo Wii's that are out, no, you just don't need to. When you can have as much of a high-quality presentation or better in your own home, there's very little reason to go out anymore. They're really making it easier to, to have the best quality experience in your house. So, but there are a couple movies like Avatar, and that, that you just, they're an event, You know, they're they are an event of the times and you're missing something if you don't go.
0: Yep. Yep. I think I saw two movies in the theater last year and it was Avatar and Star Trek.
1: And you have you have family that you have to deal with. So it's that's that's even that's another hurdle for you.
0: It's not easy to get to the theater. That's for sure. (laughs) Well, let's shift and talk a little bit about Stargate while we're here. And I know Michael is a huge fan of Stargate, aren't you?
2: Well, I, I'm definitely a huge fan of Stargate Universe.
0: Oh yeah, you like the new show?
2: Right. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, um, I I mean, I, I liked SG One. I liked it a lot. Um, Atlantis, I liked the beginning of, but then it just kind of wore down into um, recycled stories and, and things that I just didn't care about anymore. But um, you know, outside of a few highlights here and there, but Stargate Universe, I really think that 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 you know, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper, they all just really thought about this and thought about where audiences are today. And I love it. It's the the kind of pace that I love. It's the character development that I love. And and I love the Destiny. I just think it's an awesome ship.
0: Yeah, one of the things in terms of the storytelling and the way that audiences have, have sort of grown over the last decade that really helped put this in focus for me before SGU started in October... My wife and I were watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the very first time. And I'll probably get, get uh, strung up for not having watched it and loved it when it was originally on. But uh, it was just one of those shows that we didn't tune into. And so we watched it over the course of several months, the entire series, and loved the show, great show. But the sensibility is very very 1990s, especially in the first few seasons when it, when it was the 1990s. That's just where we were. And it felt a little bit like Stargate SG1 and the way that SG1 told stories in its first years it started in 97. So that is a is a really significant contrast I think with the way that SGU tells stories.
2: And it 's good that they recognize this and do this, and that 's the problem I think that we see sometimes when especially when NBC was trying to revive old shows and but what they were doing is like for Knight Rider for instance they they modernized the special oh, effects are the characters, but they didn 't modernize the stories it 's almost like they hired the original writers from the 1980s show and said, "Hey, just keep doing what you were doing and and not realizing that that the way people see stories, the way people see characters has changed so much and I mean the same with with Battlestar Galactica. I think the original Battlestar Galactica is great for its time. For 1978, it was awesome. And there's aspects of it that still work today, but yeah. you can't take that same style of storytelling, the same style of characters, and, uh, and and use that in 2010. It just doesn't work. And and you're right. I mean, I think Stargate SG-1 was perfect in 1997, 1998. And, and, and you can still go back and watch it. I mean, they're timeless. But to get new programming, I, I think that audiences have changed enough to where you have to adjust how you tell your stories i know that was so deep no it's good and i'm not saying you can't do a continuation of a show like battlestar galactica but even what brian singer is doing he's going to have to modernize the storytelling he's going to have to modernize the characters even if he is going to do a continuation of the 78 series rather than what i think is the hot you know far more successful um modern series he's doing Mm
1: -hmm. a continuation of the 78 series in a movie
2: yeah yeah I mean, that's what he's supposed to be working on is um, he's attached to the Battlestar Galactica movie project, which is a continuation project, which might very well be a lot of what he was going to do in the original concept of, of relaunching Battlestar Galactica that Fox had and then dumped after September 11th because of schedule conflicts and stuff. But um, and that might be what he's working on. But you but no matter what he does, even as a continuation, he has to modern and I'm sure he'll do that, but he'll have to modernize it. And I think that a lot of these uh, these original fans who are who are big fans of of the original show, I think what's going to happen is that they're going to 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 be all excited for this and then be pissed off.
0: I'm also nervous about having two different continuities in the same franchise at the same time. We've talked about this with Stargate and the fact that Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich keep popping up every couple of years and making noises about wanting to finish their Stargate movie trilogy and have it live on its own, standalone from the television series that have been going on for, we're, in, we're into 16 seasons now.
1: Darren and I are very polarized about this one.
0: Yeah, this is one of the few things that we actually disagree on. Babylon 5 was talking about doing this a few years ago. They were going to do a B-5 movie, and uh, when Warner Brothers started making noise about recasting all the main characters, uh, instead of using the TV actors, JMS, the creator, pulled the plug and said, no way, I'm not going to participate in that.
1: As far as I'm concerned, the more Stargate, the better. I mean, if if Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich get, are successful in creating their their new uh, the. the the uh, sequels to the to that original feature film i'm all for it i would love to see it i i think the the more stargate the better it doesn't cancel out the tv series it just takes a different road
2: and i hate to play both sides of the of the aisle but i mean but david also has some points uh, i mean look at the star trek movies when they came out in the middle of a massive oversaturation of star trek but you were able to at first have captain kirk and everybody in the movies while you had Jean-Luc Picard and, and others in the television shows and then switch over to Jean-Luc Picard, but still have like Deep Space Nine and Voyager going on. I mean, so I think in some cases it works, although I don't know if Star Trek's the best example because Star Trek was an example of uh, oversaturation and how you can almost destroy a, a very popular franchise by doing it.
1: But 93 to 95, I mean, that's when you had the movies, you had all the television series, and it was, it was like the more Star Trek people got, the more they wanted. I mean, they, that was the, the best time for Trek. So
2: it worked. Yep. But you can't do that. That's the thing is is that studios they, they jump on that and they say, "Oh, this is when it's hot. Let's make sure that we get as much of it as we can." It's it's a very short cited like like for instance um, um when a few years back what about 10 years ago now um abc saw some success with uh who wants to be a millionaire so they started airing it like 17 times a week i mean it was like every other show <laughs> on abc was who wants to be a millionaire and that show which probably could have lasted in prime time for at least two or three maybe four years lasted like yeah. six months and um and it was at the top of the ratings and then you have other um networks like fox believe it or not who doesn't really always make smart programming decisions? But here they made a smart <laughs> program decision by putting American Idol, which they could do, um, a, you know, a fall version and a spring version, and 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 suck up as much of the ratings money as they can. But they don't; they they only do half a season every year, and it is like the biggest, the highest-rated show even this year on television. But they know that that you can't overdo it. Um, like for instance, like for my birthday, my favorite cake in the world is like German chocolate cake. It's my absolute most favorite cake in the world. I have it one time a year. I have it on my birthday because I don't want it to stop being my favorite because I have it every other day, and I mm. get really fat too. But <laughs>
0: shirt and tie writes and says, uh, "What are your thoughts on the ongoing on hold movies?" Uh, Stargate movies, the SG One movie, Stargate Revolution, and the Atlantis movie, Stargate Extinction. Uh, the state of the DVD market, shirt and tie also brings up and its effect on Stargate and on sci-fi in general. Um, it, studios are still releasing stuff on DVD. Obviously, it's it's still profitable and things are rolling on into the next new new medium. But MGM is the studio behind Stargate, and MGM is currently basically up on the auction block it it needs to get its stuff together before it can fund stargate movies
2: well and it's not just that i mean there is i mean we are seeing dvds coming out but we're not seeing a lot of directed dvds that are meant to be that way i mean there's some directed dvds which were um you know movies that the studios decided to pull out of the theaters at the last second um but I think that you're not seeing a lot of original DVDs. Even the plan from Battlestar Galactica struggled a little bit. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it struggled story wise, but it also struggled in some of the sales. and And I think it's because that that market isn't really there right now. And 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 across the board, I understand the DVD sales are down, even on existing products that were in the theaters. But it's easier to justify a weaker DVD sale for Star Trek, for instance. Which you've already made a ton of money on in TV or in the movies or, or whatever, even the Stargate um, series, because you know, you've already shown and, you've already made you know the bigger chunk of money. But I think it's kind of harder right now to justify the expense that it takes, especially for a Stargate movie to, to to create this on DVD, and yeah, and you're right, MGM is having its own problems on top of that.
0: Well when Arc of Truth and Continuum came out, they topped the the sales charts. Uh, for whatever that's worth, and when we asked the producers about it, I think basically the gist that we got was the movies did really well for direct-to-DVD, but they didn't do well enough to justify for MGM to come back and say, okay, you guys can make a big, huge, big-budget theatrical Stargate film now. Mm-hmm. So there's somewhere well, in have that the middle, middle anyway. ground. Yeah, yeah
2: they don't have the rights to do a, a big theater thing. I mean, when I was in Vancouver, I actually, um, just by the luck of Uh, being in the right spot at the right time, I actually sat and had lunch with Brad Wright, and we talked about this very uh, specific thought. And and, and what he said was very similar to what you said, Darren, which was, you know, but it wasn't, I I don't think it was more about just how the past performance was. I think a lot of the concern is about how current and future performance will be in this current market. Projections. uh, Yeah, Yeah. that's usually what they they run by. of course, past performance, makes a big difference but also um you know can we make money right now and and if the dvd market is depressed right now then that might not be the good time to to start uh, you know soaking money into something like this
1: have we seen the last of sg1 atlantis movies i mean my opinion is no um but it's a bad time right now. I mean I mean, one in 10 of us are unemployed here in the US, and we have to get our, our crap together first you know in, in our own lives before we can go in, and spend money on DVDs and things like that. and, and I think, I think once this whole this whole
0: recession settles down, um, doors are going to reopen. Yeah, I don't think there are going to be Stargate She1 and Atlantis movies while we're actively in a recession. I think that MGM is either going to uh, find a new, a new way of being financially stable so that it can move forward with new projects again. I mean, they're only putting out something like one or two theatricals a year right now. Uh, uh, either that or the studio has to be bought, and, and somebody else has to, to come into either owning MGM or, or owning Stargate uh, and buying the asset away. Uh, and then the, the, the economic crisis has to end. Um, I think that th- those things, the stars have to align in all those areas before there's any hope of somebody saying, okay, now let's go make the Atlantis movie that, that we wanted to make in 2009. Mm-hmm. This is
1: Martin, currently in Berlin, Germany. On the last open line night, someone posed the following question. What will happen to Star Command when Cheyenne Mountain is closed down? And the one thing that came to my mind was Carter's line from the end of Continuum. Actually sir, I was hoping we could go over the plans for the new moon base. My question to you is the following. Do you think it would be a good direction for the franchise if the SGC was relocated to the far side of the moon? I'm sure we could all agree it would be much safer for the citizens of Earth, but would it still make for good stories?
0: This is a really specific reference this first voicemail from Martin that, that Michael may or may not catch. There's a reference at the very end of Stargate Continuum to Earth having a new moon base, and we're not sure if it's really happening in the Stargate universe or if it's Carter basically pulling O'Neill's leg. So, would it be good for the franchise with Cheyenne Mountain in the real world closing down if once the SG-1 movies get going, if they get going? for the franchise to tell stories from a moon base instead of from the SGC for stargate command to be moved to a moon base.
1: Well, it'd be better for the citizens of Colorado Springs.
2: They wouldn't have to evacuate every few weeks. I want to say, no, I don't think it would be a good idea. And I mean, Atlantis was good, even though it was remote. Um, because there is still some elements to it. And and I know that, that with the use of the stones and stuff in Stargate universe, you can still do uh, planet based stories, which is more cost effective on a production side, but also a way of, of keeping kind of a mainstream audience. But I think that if you're on a moon base where there's nothing around you except for rocks and dust and and, and guys walking around planting American flags. Um, I just don't think that, that, that you really get that element of 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 being on being planet-based still with the mm-hmm. financial aspect, the story aspects of it. So unless they're going to do something to really, you know, unless it's a really big-ass moon base, I just don't think it would work. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. when we got this reference at the end of Continuum, I totally thought it was a joke. And then I went online and and people were talking about the fact that that they were taking it seriously and it seemed to be that the earth was getting a moon base. And I don't know, David, were, were you coming at me talking about it, it being a real thing instead of a joke?
1: I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I hope that it's real uh, because it, it makes sense. Not, I mean, not the chief reason doing it because Colorado, because Cheyenne mountain is closed in the real world. I mean, president Hayes is, is not president in our real world anyway. So it's not our world per se. We're basically right. viewing everything in an alternate realities is how I view it um but i think i think it makes sense i mean at, we have asgard transport technology which can get us from from the moon to a daedalus class ship to earth in the blink of an eye and i think it just it just makes much more sense to have the stargate at a remote location
0: it does um, make sense and it makes sense for the safety of earth as as many threats that have come through that that wormhole inside the mountain Inside the universe, it makes a whole lot of sense to me, and, and uh, as a viewer, it could be really cool. Uh, but yeah, I I see Michael's point as well. It, it's it feels like maybe uh, it, it could lose a bit of that here and now vibe that Stargate's always had. That it's us, it's it's Earth based. Mm-hmm.
2: But don't you aren't you guys a little bit worried though that if you put the Stargate on the, on the moon? where um where it's really easy i mean you i mean if anybody scanned the moon even visually you can almost point it out wouldn't that be kind of bad strategically and plus i mean the only people who usually go on the moon especially the dark side of the moon are like the talons the v creatures you know? <laughs> everybody that wants to come and attack us so i don't know i mean that's that's a pretty crowded place right now
0: i could see it where we establish the moon base in the next sg one movie or even uh on on universe and then it's there for a movie or two and then when stargate finally gets to do a big theatrical the opening teaser of the theatrical is the big alien ship shadow coming over the moon base and obliterating it on its way (laughs) to earth
1: yeah and then we'll just upload a virus to the mothership and
2: destroy them
0: yeah well you gave it away I mean, that goes about.
2: saying. See? You guys say there's no original ideas out there. Hi, Darren and David. This is Jeremy from Oregon. My question is for the open line night. Do either of you have any intention to play Stargate Resistance? And another question is, David, when you were working at Stargate Worlds, did you know that they were going to make Stargate Resistance?
0: Uh, We talked about Resistance a little bit. Obviously, David, uh, as the guy who signed the non-disclosure agreement when he left the company, probably can't answer this. But I can answer at least in terms of speculation and say that we knew at the time that when they were making Stargate Worlds that they were also making other things. Uh, At various stages of development, they had other projects. Uh, I thought some of them might be Stargate-related, uh, assuming that some of them probably were not. So it doesn't surprise me that Resistance got made. Uh, I think what surprised us all was that it got made first, uh, but that became less and less surprising than Stargate Worlds had the, the financial problems that it did.
1: Stargate Resistance has everything that Stargate Worlds wasn't planning on having. So, in yeah. the event that Stargate Worlds does come out, once Stargate Resistance provides them some financial stability in these tough mm-hmm. times, if
0: Stargate Worlds does come
1: out then, then you get everything that you could have wanted for playing in the Stargate universe. So and the you, two you, games
0: will feel kind of simpatico, like they're taking place in the same sort of world?
1: Well, they use the same assets, for crying out loud. So, I mean, you, yeah. you're you're definitely... That's why that they were able to do this now was because an MMO is a huge, huge challenge. There are very few pieces of software that are more complicated than an MMO. Not to mention the online component. So you know this is this is a good thing. You know this is this is a chance to to get some Stargate out to people right now. Um, and I think
0: it's huge that this is the first this is the first Stargate tie-in game. Other than you set aside the the. Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and Game Boy games that came out in 1994 to support the feature film. This is the first Stargate video game ever, and I think that's that's worth making a big deal about. We've been waiting for a long time, and I think this game looks really good. I'm really excited about playing it. I'm not a gamer, but I'm definitely going to look at it. This last weekend, they had a a closed trial as sort of uh, get a feel for the game and and do a, a server load test, same thing that they've been doing with... Uh, star trek online on a much smaller scale and uh and i got an invite to go and play it last weekend and and i have a two-year-old with 103 temperatures so i didn't get into doing it but uh, once it's out on february 10th i definitely want to play it
2: i think that it's i, I agree i think that it's been far too long waiting um I mean, you know, working on the MMO is one thing. And you're right. I mean, MMOs take years and years and years to develop. And, um, you know, and they're very costly. And and I think it's about time that we get a game like Resistance. To be honest, I haven't seen that much about it. But just imagining the Stargate universe, uh, and not the show, but the the universe of Stargate, um, but imagining just all the possibilities of jumping through gates, of fighting aliens, of of all these types of different interactions, I think it's going to be awesome. I think it'd be great.
0: As somebody who has watched the franchise on television for going on 13 years now, 12 years, this is, it's just going to be really satisfying to me to be able to have an avatar who can push buttons on the DHC and dial the Stargate and walk through it and have the satisfaction of, of holding a staff weapon and hearing that familiar sound as I take somebody out. I mean, I'm going to play it just so that I can walk back and forth through the gate. And if the gamers want to come and pick me off while I'm doing it, that's fine with me. Well, so let's talk about Caprica. There's one more big sci-fi thing that's going on right now that uh, I think we all are big Battlestar Galactica fans, and we've got to take at least a couple minutes now that Caprica's finally arrived on Sci-Fi Channel and give our first initial impressions.
1: I saw the original miniseries uh, when it came out last year. Uh, I've, I've TiVo'd the, uh, the new miniseries. I haven't seen any of the, the television release yet, so I'm excited okay. to see what it looks like.
2: Well no you you they they showed the pilot 2 weeks ago what they've already had out on DVD and then last Friday they showed the uh, the first new episode that none of us it's well none of us without screeners have seen. How, um, how's
1: the first new episode? How how did it look?
2: The I just you know I I loved I've seen the first two or three after the pilot I'm um, trying to remember which ones that they sent us. Um, so I've actually seen some, and they were unfinished. So, of course, I like to tune in and watch it with the finished music and everything. And, and you know what? I, I This is totally different from Battlestar Galactica, but I love it. I, I just love everything about it. I love the way it's shot. I love the music, and I love the characters. And I just – I'm all excited. I, I really can't wait.
0: It's really consistent if you saw the DVD. The, of the pilot that came out last year. It seems like this show is going to be really consistent with that. The music is one of the things that stood out to me the most because Bear McCreary is walking an interesting line between making it like Battlestar and not like Battlestar. And I heard some Battlestar cues in there that tied it into the universe. And, I mean, you you, you can't see the the Cylon and, and the visual effect of the eye without obviously being cued into the history of Battlestar Galactica. But it's such a different approach. I mean, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's more dramatic of a difference between uh, the difference between SG-1 Atlantis and now Stargate Universe as, as being a different kind of show, as being a character drama. Um, if, you, if, if you're not happy with Stargate Universe being a character drama, I mean, Caprica is a character drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight up. I'm looking forward to watching the show.
1: I've been waiting for this for a long time. I mean, I haven't been excited about it. Like I was excited about Battlestar Galactica, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to see, uh, how it, uh, how it adds up to expectations. Yeah. So. It's
2: definitely not as, it's definitely not as action based as what Battlestar Galactica was. And, you know, but I really like it, and of course, I'm a big fan of the music. It's so easy; you could probably have a crappy TV show with amazing music, and I'll love it uh, just because <laughs> of the music. And we had Bear McQuarrie on my podcast, um, you know, just a few weeks ago. And one of the things that he told us was that he's hoping he doesn't know where Battlestar, or, I'm sorry, where Caprica is going to end up. But if it somehow ends up to where we're leading almost into the miniseries, you know, he he's, he's looking forward to the evolution of the music to kind mm-hmm. of follow that. That The closer we get toward Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. the closer the music will get toward Battlestar Galactica. Oh,
1: I mean, he's, he's John Williams on a TV scale. I mean, th- yeah. this is what he's getting to do that John Williams got to do between episodes three and four.
2: The Sarah Connor
0: soundtrack, I will be listening to that for eons.
2: Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Thanks for joining us, Michael. You've you've been great, as usual.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on. I I hope I I can't wait to come back on 50 episodes from now.
0: (laughs) Oh, please, no. Maybe 25 on the outside.
2: (laughs) Good. Well, one of them.
0: And I'll be
1: seeing you on Airlock Alpha in just a few days, I would imagine. Yeah, I look forward to it.
0: Go and look for Michael Hinman's stuff at airlockalpha.com, uh, which is part of the Blip Network. Also, the new site, which we didn't need to talk about, which I'd like to maybe next time. Uh, the general TV site is insideblip.com, and Michael is on the radio on the internets at blogtalkradio.com slash Waves. Well, thanks once again to Mike for stopping by and doing Open Line Night with us this week. Thanks to everybody for sending in your questions, your topics, and your voicemails. Next week we're doing Misdirected Emotion, and here is this week's listener question: How much of a television character
1: do you think comes from the writers, and how much from the actor who plays the character? This is a uh, this is a topic that I posed several weeks ago to Darren, and you know he said let's let's throw it in there, and uh, I'll restate it once more. Um, before we talk about it next week you know you see a lot of actors on television you fall in love with their character You, but I'm I, one of the things that I'm wanting to tackle with this is who are just who are you falling in love with you know the conventions the actors get all the praise the actors get all the praise and it seems like online with online communities it seems like the writers often get a lot of flack well aren't the writers generally creating those characters they're putting 100% of the words in those people's mouths and the stage direction and all that is happening largely from the directors and the writers should we be giving the writers a
0: little bit more credit that's what i'm posing it's an interesting topic i'm looking forward to doing that that's our february 10th show misdirected emotion and then on february 17th we'll come back and talk about stargate atlantis season two and then our february 24th suggestion is also a david reed spectacular what is it stargate
1: versus battlestar galactica I came up with these versus podcasts a few months back, you know, com- comparing and contrasting some of our favorite shows. And the first one we did is Stargate versus Star Trek. You
0: can find that in the podcast library. Yeah, that one was fun. That one was very fun. And Battlestar, I don't know, we're we're a lot alike in how we look at Battlestar, but I think we're also a little bit different, more different than Stargate. Yeah. So I'm interested in, com- in uh, contrasting and comparing these shows with you. That's on February 24th. So
1: thanks for tuning in.
0: That's our show. We'll see you back here next week. If you want to send us feedback, including an answer to this week's listener question or whatever else is on your mind, give us a call on the podcast hotline. That number is area code 951-262-1647. Or if you don't want to call a U.S.-based number, you can email us a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. And you can also head over to the forum Give us a post on the podcast feedback thread.
1: Well, this was fun. I think we covered all the bases. I think that's one of the more successful open line nights
0: we've had in a long time. Yeah, I think so. Thanks to a good guest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He can talk. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for another installment of the GateWorld podcast.